This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome back. Rob Breckenridge with you here on this Monday afternoon. Now, look, this is going to be, I I think, an important week in determining the trajectory of this crisis uh, around Ukraine and the question of whether, indeed, Russia is going to invade. Certainly, Russia has built up a considerable amount uh, of troops around Ukraine, very much seems poised uh, to make a move. But will they? I suppose, as our next guest argues, that really only Putin knows for sure. Like I say, I think this could be a pivotal week. Joining us uh, to talk more about the situation, uh, someone who knows uh, certainly Russia very well, Tom Nichols, is a professor of national security affairs at the uh, U.S. Naval War College, author of The Death of Expertise, also contributor at The Atlantic, where you can read his latest, theatlantic.com. Tom, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, so at this point, Tom, how close are we, do you think, to at least knowing where this is all going to go? Is is this likely to be the week that, that really helps us understand where, where this is all headed? Um, I think so. There's an old saying that you can do a lot with bayonets except sit on them. And, um, you know, at some point, um, Putin's going to have to fish or cut bait. But I think people are wrong to expect some dramatic resolution where there's either an all-out war or, um, you know, a complete turnaround. He may well reinforce positions that he already owns. There may be some scattered fighting. He may go for a kind of shock and awe um, attack along the front hoping to collapse the Ukrainian government. He has a lot of options here, and I don't think people should view this as just some waiting to see if he flicks a, an on or off switch. That's that's not how he does things, and he's got a lot more options than that at his disposal. How do we understand his thinking here? Because an invasion of Ukraine seems so counterproductive, both in terms of you know, how damaging it could be to, to Russian forces, how bloody it could be, the perception back in, in, in Russia, and obviously the response from the international community. It's hard to see how he benefits. But what's your sense of what he's thinking here? Well, part of the problem is that he doesn't share a frame of reference with the rest of us about what the world looks like. Um, Putin, all the way back 10, 15 years ago, had, was making it clear to the Americans, he just doesn't think Ukraine exists as a country. Um, he's never accepted that. Um, he doesn't think of the um, republics that gained their independence 30 years ago as anything other than Russian imperial possessions. And so, you know, he sees this all as just one big area of Russian influence that other people should stay out of instead of independent countries. And I, I think people should be worried about that. I think Americans and Canadians and other people who live in free countries should be worried that Russia wants a veto over who counts as a country and which alliances and, and organizations they get to talk to. 
So Putin's not predictable in that in that sense, then, that we can try to stay a step ahead of him by trying to figure out what he's thinking. Is, is there a, a, an inherent element of, of unpredictability in all of this? You know, it's interesting because uh, Putin has cultivated an image here in the West of being this kind of cool, crafty, unemotional guy, when in fact he's actually quite emotionally volatile, quite vain, um, not particularly a great strategist, puts himself in a lot of situations that uh, proliferate Russia's enemies and isolate Russia. Um, so, you know, it, he, it, I think he may well do something dumb. Um, but, yeah, he is, he is emotional. And I think part of the, what you saw in 2014 when his guy was hounded out of Ukraine was that his military campaign was a response to being humiliated. Um, and so I think the way to think about this is to ask, you know, when does he think he's made his point? Um, and I, I just don't know where that line is because I, I don't actually think that the people who work with him even know where that is. That's how much I think this is buried inside Putin's head. Now, it sounds as though there, there may be some talks in, in France and Paris this week between Russian and, and Ukrainian officials. I mean, are, are there some outs here for for Putin to, you know, diffuse this without losing face? Sure. Um, I think, for one thing, you have to remember that Russians generally think very positively of Ukrainians. Um, they are, you know, Slavs. They ha- occupied the same uh, state together. They lived under the same state together for uh, years, and um, there's a lot of intermarriage and family relations. So, you know, Putin would, pro- would probably be the, to the relief of a lot of Russians if Putin said, okay, I got what I wanted and I'm stepping back a bit, because his media will believe him and report whatever he says. Um, so he has a lot of off-ramps here, including if the Ukrainians and others say, you know, we we get it. We're not, um, you know, we're we're not going to rush to join uh, NATO or the EU. I mean, in a way, none of these things were going to happen. Putin created this crisis out of nothing. Um, but you know, if if somewhere in a back channel, he's reassured, yeah, nothing. You know, the, no one's going to do the things they weren't going to do anyway. He may he may take that uh, as a victory. How much of this is about Ukraine's future? And, uh, you know, does Ukraine have a future in Europe versus in the, in the Russian sphere of influence? Is Ukraine going to be another Latvia, you know, a thriving European democracy, or is it going to end up as, as another Belarus? I mean, how much do you think that this is about Ukraine's future? I, I still think this is mostly about Putin and Russia and the fact that Putin is, the, is a mafia boss who has to keep whipping up nationalism and create these conflicts with Ukraine and Georgia and the West uh, because it's a way of legitimating his rule as a, as a, as a mob boss. Um, you know, the future of Ukraine is, there. I don't think, is written for good or ill right now. Um, 30 years is not a long time for a young state. Mm. Ukraine's an old country, but it's a young state. Um, and so, you know, the idea that this is all about the future of Ukraine in or out of Europe, I think, is really secondary to the problem that um, as long as Putin leads Russia, n- nobody's really safe in that region. 
I mean, given that, how, how fair is it to critique Western leaders and, and whether President Biden could have or should have handled this differently or whether his predecessor would have or whether Germany's made right decisions or Canada's prime minister or Britain's prime minister? Is it all kind of moot given who and what we're dealing with? I, I have been a critic of America's Russian policy since about 1992. Uh, yeah. I think that um, the United States as the leader of NATO should have had a clearer um, a Russia policy than the kind of zigs and zags and and embraces and you know pushing away and pulling forward that we've had um, over the years and I think particularly since um, the second Gulf War since 9/11 and the second Gulf War the United States just hasn't paid a lot of attention to other parts of the world because we were so obsessed uh, with the war on terror in the Middle East and and we made that mistake I think in Europe as well which is still where the transatlantic alliance, the the home of the Atlantic European countries, Canada and the United States, that's that's really our main alliance. And so I think we're paying the, the freight here for a lot of mistakes that were made over time. But in the end, the decision to go to war is still Vladimir Putin's decision. The Russians are not actually threatened by anything or anyone. Um, that's purely a fantasy. Putin and Putin knows this. Uh, but it's it's a way of maintaining domestic control and ginning up uh, nationalistic fervor on Putin's behalf as part of keeping control of the Russian public. As you write in your piece, you say, I mean, the U.S. And, and NATO, really, in general, uh, needs to get through this crisis controlling the things that are in their power, including planning ahead to use the considerable Western capacity to make Russia pay for a military adventure for years to come, if necessary. What what can send a message, and, and what do you think we need to be planning for right now? Um, I think the one of the great powers the West has is in its ability to um, financially and politically isolate the Russian elite. I think we have to stop um, dropping um, measures that, in the end, Putin can just shift off onto the Russian people. Uh, because then Putin says, the reason you're suffering is because the Americans did this to you, um, which is a, a go-to line that he's been using for a long time. I think if we really wanted to play hardball, um, you know, some some folks over here, my colleague David Frum uh, at The Atlantic uh, suggested, you know, might be time to tell the Russian elites, no, you can't send your children to school in London and Paris. Uh, no, you can't hold uh, billions of dollars in European and North American uh, holdings. You, you know, you can't travel freely uh, around the world if you're part of this criminal um, clique that runs Russia. That Those are things that would really bite, and they are things that would bother Putin because he stays in power in part by having a hold over a group of elites, as I call them in the article, underbosses and capos who help keep him in power. And so, you know, if we're going to play hardball, then we really need to think about playing hardball, and we have to be united on how to do it. Well, Tom, we'll leave it there. We'll see what this week brings us. Your latest, as mentioned, uh, it's up at theatlantic.com. Really appreciate your perspective on all of this. Thanks so much for joining us here. Thank you. All the best, Tom. Take care. Uh, that's Tom Nichols, uh, writes now for The Atlantic, theatlantic.com, uh, former uh, professor of international and security affairs at the U.S. Naval War College, uh, remains part of the Harvard Extension School, also at the U.S. Air Force School of Strategic Force Studies, uh, and has focused a lot of his work over the years on Russia and, and the former Soviet Union. So kind of a unique perspective on, you know, what drives Putin 
kind of what Putin is, what it is we're dealing with right now. So we'll see what this week brings. Uh, some talks, as mentioned, between the U.S. and European allies, potentially some talks happening in Paris between Russian and Ukrainian officials. I guess we'll get a sense in the coming days where this is all headed. All right, in the meantime, we'll take another time out here. We'll come back. More time for your phone calls here this afternoon in Edmonton, 780-496-0063. You can reach us in Calgary, 403-974-8255. My name is Rob Breckenridge. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.